Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. I want to begin uh, tonight a little bit differently. It was on this day 21 years ago that our Bishop Norman Pasley I received his reward and went to paradise. And since I am speaking, I could not uh, not acknowledge that to you um, because I believe that God gave us his best when he gave us Bishop Granddad as our first pastor and our founder. And I still believe that. Um, Granddad's humility, strength of character, his generous heart, his genuine love for people are part of the incredible foundation of this wonderful church that we get to call home. And so today I just want to honor his memory and remind you that we remain committed to the motto that he gave us, the will of God at any cost. Amen. Tonight, I also want to just acknowledge in my own way our incredible pastoral team. I appreciate the honor that you gave us on Sunday, but Tom and I are very aware of the fact that we would not be able to do what we've been called to do without the very capable help of this incredible team that God has given to this church people like the Cups and Sister Martha Burton, Sister Angel Graham, Anthony and Amber Sizemore, Andrew and Kate Sizemore, Anthony and Leah Henson. Uh, We would not be able to, and Sister Reed, dear God, who can forget Diana Reed, Lord. I was afraid to get off my notes and I did and I almost forgot. But I want to just publicly say how much their love and devotion to this church mean to Tom and I and the way they have helped us um, through some very challenging times in the last few years. They have served this church faithfully in their love and in their strength every day. And I don't take that for granted, and I want you to know that. Amen. So, I thank you for your kind expressions of gifts. We are undeserving of your love, but we receive it because we need it. All right? Amen. And so tonight is our last night on our series, Changes That Heal, dealing with the subject of mental health. And my prayer has been that it has encouraged you to seek God's healing and to seek God's will in every area of your life because he is your creator and he is your healer. And he cares about the things that affect you every day. Amen. The mental health crisis of this year of 2020 and its impact is something that remains to be quantified. It remains to be fully understood, but experts seem to agree on this one aspect of COVID's wake that no one knows yet the long-term impact that this world crisis that we've been facing together has actually had on people's mental health. But this is what we know as believers that we're called to make disciples, no matter what the circumstance. We're called to bring the hurting to the feet of Jesus. And we cannot lead broken people to wholeness and healing in this way if we ourselves have not received a healing touch from the Lord in this area of our lives. And so we've looked together at three steps to healthier lives, specifically as it relates to our mental health. At TCC, we believe that there is no part of our lives that God is not willing to help us with. We believe that. His word must be the foundation of our lives 
and our thinking. And we've talked about our lifelong need for grace, truth, and time. And we have seen God's word speak clearly to the necessity and power of those three things at work in our lives. As God uses grace, truth, and time to accomplish his purpose within us, we too must in turn offer these three powerful things to others. We are not to just be recipients of God's grace, God's truth, and the time that he gives us to make these changes, but we are to in turn be conduits of God's grace, of his truth, and the time that he has given us, we in turn offer it to the people in our lives who are trying to change. And so we learned in the second step that we were made for connection. God made us to be in relationship with him and with others. Therefore, we must learn how to bond with other people. It is God's desire for our lives to have meaningful, healthy relationships because God cares about the way we treat one another. Amen. He is also concerned with how we allow others to treat us. Last week, we plowed through some eerie silence in this room as we tackled the topic of boundaries and the need for them in our lives. We acknowledged that this, fa- this topic can be especially difficult for us as believers. And Dr. Cloud emphasizes in Changes That Heal that while we are responsible to others, we are not, according to the word of God, responsible for them. We must have boundaries around what is important and what needs protected in our lives. And the Bible is full of verses, and I hope you got that out of last week's lesson, and principles that help us identify and define what we are responsible for in the eyes of God. And so last week, we tackled a list of nine things the Bible speaks to that we are responsible for. They were, in case you forgot, our body, our feelings, our attitudes, our behaviors, our thoughts, our abilities, our choices, our desires, and our limits. Yes, we have them. We all have them. And better to know them ahead of time than to find out in the heat of battle. Lord Jesus, help us. But that list of nine things is loaded with potential for us to grow spiritually. That's a nice way of saying that's quite an assignment for all of us. All of us could work on those areas of boundaries in our lives. And I know I've been praying for God's word to shine its light into my heart as I've been studying and preparing for this series. And I can tell you for a fact that he has certainly answered that prayer. And so I stand with confidence to say that if you are open for God to work in your life in these ways, he certainly will. We'll take you up on that offer. And so tonight, we're going to conclude with lesson four on this idea of the fourth step to healthy living, according to our friend Henry Cloud. And that is simply sorting out the good and the bad in our lives. None of us have it all figured out. And I've said that every week, and I've said it on purpose. 
Because I think sometimes we can give in to the assumption that what we see on Sunday and what we see on social media is our real realities. And man, they've got it all together. The truth is, none of us really do all the time. All of us have things we have got to work on. And it's important in order for us to help other people and reach for them with compassion in the context of our ministries, that we debunk this idea, this fallacy, that when we come to the Lord, that all of our problems magically go away and we cruise through life. It is not so. It is an unfair expectation. And I would say it is an unbiblical expectation. The Bible is full of people with problems, families with issues. You want to feel better about your situation, just study the families in the Bible. I've done it. I was looking for instruction personally, and instead I just found encouragement. (laughs) And instruction on what not to do. Thank you very much. But this is what it means to live in a fallen world. And Christians are not exempted from the post-fall reality. And Dr. Cloud tries to help us in this book by simply pointing out the world around us is good and bad. The people around us are good and bad. We ourselves are good and bad. And this is a key element in this final step that we're looking at tonight. And I know this may seem obvious, even a little elementary to you, but let me share with you some profound truth that I have found in this book that I believe the Lord is using to help us in this series. The truth is, we have a tendency within us to try to resolve the issues of what is good and what is bad, what is going well and what is going wrong in our lives by separating them into categories, And the problem is, this system is impossible to maintain. Keeping the details of our lives divided into column A, the good, and column B, the bad, will set us up to be in a perpetual state of disappointment. Disappointment with ourselves. Disappointment with people that are in that bad category. And most importantly disappointment with God. This splitting will result in an inability for us to tolerate the badness, the weakness, and the failure that is in us and in everyone we know in some way or another. Can you already see where this type of mindset would keep us discouraged about our lives for the rest of our lives? And so here's the bottom line for us tonight. If we do not learn how to deal with the existence of both the good and the bad in ourselves and in each other, we will be unable to live within the peace and the purpose that God has promised us in this book. This is because the world is good and bad. The truth is that it wasn't always like this. And I find it interesting that we keep going back to Eden in this series. Because this is where all these problems that we have been dealing with started. But in Eden, a perfect God made a perfect place for his perfect 
creation to be enjoyed in perfect fellowship with him. It was all perfect and wonderful. That is what Eden was about. God made Eden for man to enjoy, but we don't live there anymore. In case you didn't notice, this is not what God intended. Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 25, acknowledge this tension that we have to live with because we live in a fallen world. Paul said, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons The redemption of our bodies. What is he talking about? He's talking about the rapture. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul acknowledges to us, we have this sense of there is more. God has more for me to experience and enjoy. And while we crave that perfection as people made in God's image, perfection is no longer available to us in this world. To recoin that iconic line from the Wizard of Oz, Toto, we are not in Eden anymore. It's a crucial moment in Dorothy's experience to realize we're not in Kansas anymore. And it's very important in our walk with God to realize everything that God wanted for us is not immediately available to us because we're not in Eden anymore. Our souls were made for the perfection of Eden. We were created in the context of the Garden of Eden. But until we get to heaven... We are not going to experience that environment. And this is the tension that we as Christians have to live with. We understand God's ideals for us according to his word. But as long as we are living on this earth, we will struggle. And those around us will struggle with how to live up to what this book says. And we get ourselves into serious turmoil When we disconnect from this fundamental part of our reality, we have to learn how to accept the good and the bad within us. We must learn to accept the good and the bad in other people. And if we can't, or if we refuse to do that, we'll have a hard time living in this world as long as we're here. Because the truth is, if we refuse to accept those things... There will be no room for grace, truth, and time. We will be unable to bond with others. We will be unable to set reasonable boundaries for ourselves. We will be stuck in a perpetual state of disillusionment. If we cannot accept that life, even a life of faith, has good and bad, we will always feel hopeless. What we wish were true and what is true will always be at war with one another. What a miserable, 
pitiful existence that would be. One that is far from the life that Jesus died to make available to you and I. The Bible teaches us that we are created in God's image. Our lives have purpose. This is good. But it also teaches us that we were all born sinners. This is bad. We have purpose. We have strengths. But my God, we have weaknesses. We have struggles. We go through trials. And this is true for everyone else in our world. And one of the major reasons Christian struggle is over this very thing, the split between real and what is ideal. And this is true for everybody else too. But Paul, the great Christian that he was, struggled with this reality too. He wrote about it in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 19. He said, I do not understand my own actions Have you had a moment like that this week yet? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. I am bad. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do The good I want, but the evil, the bad, I do not want is what I keep on doing. If Paul felt that way, who are you and I? I'm just saying. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul admits to us very clearly, I want the good. But I have to deal with the painful reality that I'm going to keep doing bad sometimes. I am going to struggle. And that is our natural tendency. Our response to that is, well, just try harder. That's what we tell ourselves. That's what we tell those who love us and will tolerate us. Just try harder. I wanted to play that clip for you, that Bob Newhart clip where that precious woman comes into his office and he's a psychologist or whatever and she tells him of this unbelievable fear that she has of being buried in a box. And so he sits back in that leather chair and he's like, I'm going to tell you something that's going to help you. I'm going to give you two words that are going to change your life. She's leaning in her chair. She's got her pen ready and he leans over his desk and says, Stop it. And she goes, what? And he says, stop it. And for nine minutes in this skit, every problem that she has, his response is, stop it. If life were only that simple, right? And yet our expectations of ourselves, we talk to each other like Bob Newhart. Just stop it, Kristen. You have the power within yourself. Just stop it. And we think that's ridiculous. But how many times have you and I responded to people in our lives with the same attitude of, what is wrong with you? Why can't you just stop it? You are bad and I am good. Stop it. (laughs) Paul understood this conundrum 
that we are all in. And it's God's desire for us to release ourselves and others from this impossible pressure of what is ideal, that you should be able to stop it. And that I should be able to stop it all on our own. But the truth is that Jesus died so that you can live in his grace, his unconditional love and his acceptance because he knew that we would need it. And that is why he died. Thank God. Jesus doesn't tell us to stop it after we're born again and leave us to our own devices at the altar. And so simply stated tonight, what I'm trying to say by acting really stupid is that to demand, to demand perfection from ourselves and from other people will ruin our lives. My good friend, Dr. Lehman, who knocks out my teeth on a regular basis, says perfectionism is slow suicide. And if you are not a self-confessed perfectionist as I am, I can almost guarantee you, you have some standard of perfection in your life about you or someone else. And that is a set for disappointment. And so according to this book, a God-fearing person can avoid both legalism and license and instead lead a life of balance, which is what we are trying to talk about tonight. The book of Ecclesiastes puts it like this. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. That perfectionism, that legalism of this is what's right. Why can't I do it all the time? That's what Paul was talking about. And then there's this other extreme of license that says, it's all bad. It doesn't matter. Just give up trying. No, there's a balance in between that understands and accepts that according to the word of God, because I live here and I have been born into sin, I will always struggle between the good and the bad in me. And I will always have to learn to deal with the good and the bad in other people. And I can do it because that is what God does for me every day. Amen. And so how do we deal with the good and the bad? I'm going to give you four things. So hint, hint, pay attention. The app time is going to be about these four things. These are four ways that we try to deal with the good and the bad. And I'll give you a hint. Only one of them actually works, according to Dr. Cloud. Let's see if you can figure out which one it is. So the first way that we try to deal with the good and the bad is we deny the bad. I feel like I've seen everywhere that I'm fine, you're fine, everything is fine. <laughs> it's like the mantra of 2020, right? La, 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 la. The denial of the bad. That has been very appealing to me, I must admit to you, in all of this. But this is what the Pharisees did. And Jesus challenged them intensely about it. They got dressed up and paraded around and acted like they were all good and that nothing was bad. And in Matthew 23, Jesus calls them out and says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, 
First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate. Acknowledge the bad, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. We cannot deny the bad within us. We have to deal with it according to Jesus. The second way we try to deal with the good and bad is we are in denial of the good. The sky is falling. If everything, if one thing is wrong, then everything is wrong. Nothing is good. And this is how we can respond when we feel overwhelmed by the bad. And let's be honest, that happens to us more than we want to admit. We want to just give up trying. And we can excuse our sin. And we can become hardened to the hope of change in our lives or in the lives of someone that we care about. But this is what Paul described in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. We cannot deny what is good and be in God's will for our lives. The third way we try to deal with the good and the bad is to attack and judge. This is the most common way of dealing with the bad. I confess it is very natural. The Bible challenges us us by making it clear that only godly sorrow brings people to repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Condemnation produces death. And so to attack and judge someone or something bad, something that you feel is wrong, even according to the word of God, will not produce the fruit that you are hoping for. Not in yourself and certainly not in anybody else. Think about the contrast between Judas and Peter, who were both guilty of the same thing. Both of them denied the Lord. And yet Judas condemned himself through his own suicide. It brought death into his life. And yet Peter found grace in the eyes of God through his repentance. And so here is a very important truth that I hope you can remember, that judgment never cures anything according to the word of God. It may make us feel better in the moment, but it cannot help us, and it certainly cannot help those that we care about. And so the fourth way that we can deal with the good and the bad in our lives is through acceptance. This is the answer that the Bible gives to us over and over again. We talked about it in our first week of this series, Grace and Truth. And this requires us to get out of that trap of splitting up the good and the bad in our lives. Acceptance embraces 
both the good and the bad, because that is what God does for us. And it is in turn what he wants you and I to do. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This biblical response to the good and the bad in us and the good and the bad in other people points us back to what the Lord challenged us with as a church in July, that we love as we have been loved by him. We forgive people as we have been forgiven by him, and we accept people as God has accepted you and I. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 challenges this natural response that we have to the bad in our lives with this thought. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. That's what God wants from you. He doesn't want to condemn you. He doesn't want to just judge your sin and make you deal with it. But he wants to see you repent and change and turn your life around. We will not be able to cope with reality by by denying the bad, denying the good, or through attacking and judging the bad in our lives. But we are to follow Jesus' divine example of love and acceptance. And it doesn't mean we ignore the truth, and it doesn't mean we deny ourselves or grace or ourselves or others the grace that we need. It is only through the removal of condemnation that sin loses its power in our lives. That's what 2 Corinthians 7.10 tells us. It is godly sorrow that does the work that God wants to do in our lives through repentance. And Dr. Cloud says this, when someone can get to a point where they no longer feel condemned, they are well on their way to being more and more loving. This was Jesus' powerful response to the judgment of those who sat sat back and watched a woman break an alabaster box of oil and pour it on Jesus' feet and dry it with her hair. Luke chapter 7, verses 46 through 47 say, You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, there's bad in her life, are forgiven, for she loved much. She's done something good. But he who is forgiven little loves little. We have the opportunity every day of our lives to work in cooperation with God's love and grace in our lives and the love and grace he wants to give to the people around us. And so for our app time, of the four ways that we try to grapple with the good and bad in our lives, what is the most natural response to you? Silence. Okay, so take a moment. This is loaded. I understand this. I can tell you this. Our next series will be much easier, okay? I'm going to give you a break in November. But let's do the hard work one more time and just discuss with somebody near you what response is most natural to you as we begin our conclusion.
appreciate your participation. I know it's not an easy thing, and I miss my security up here, but I've also been able to dodge these questions, so lucky me. (laughs) No, trust me, the Lord has asked me these questions, and it has been brutal times in prayer. So anyway, I'll invite you to stand with me. But I sincerely hope that this series has been a blessing to you in some way. And I hope that we walk away with a fresh realization that we all struggle in these four ways. And that we're all going to struggle in some way until Jesus comes with grace, truth, and time. Bonding with other people. Setting boundaries for ourselves. In this big one of sorting out the good and the bad in our lives. All of us struggle in areas where we reflect, where we fail to reflect the image of God. That's what all of this boils down to. We aren't helped when we try to compartmentalize our problems. These are my social issues. These are my mental issues. These are my emotional issues. No, no. We just live in a fallen world. And even though we were created in his image, we are always going to struggle to bear his image in every area of our lives. But I want to end this last session the way that we have the other three, by reading a portion of scripture to you, and then in turn us making it a prayer as we end the lesson tonight. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you go back and read those verses, you can see all four of the things that we have talked about. And the Bible deals with it to say, Let God's word dwell in you. Let it change you. Be helped by the word of God. And so my hope and prayer is not just that we would receive God's healing in every part of our lives, but that we would in turn be a conduit of that healing to people that we come in contact with, to the people that God would send to the Calvary Church people who are broken and hurting, that someday we can offer them programs like Grief Share and Celebrate Recovery so that we can walk roads with them and say, you are not alone. I need grace, truth, and time. I needed the family of God. I needed to repurpose boundaries in my life. I needed to set my life up differently because I wanted to protect the importance of my relationship with Jesus. And I, too, struggle sometimes to figure out what to do with the good and the bad. But at the end of the day, we are all recipients of God's love and acceptance. And that is our privilege and opportunity 
to extend those things to other people. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, I love you and I thank you for the power and relevance of your word in every area of our lives. Lord, I believe your word has an answer for us, that it's meant to be understood, that you intend for us to correctly apply it to our lives, not just for our benefit, but Lord, so that we can be healed and equipped in a way to help other people. We are called to make disciples You said many years ago at the beginning of this church that this was a healing place, that you made the Calvary Church a hospital for those who are hurting. Lord, in these next generations of Calvary, make it even more so according to your will that this is a healing place because the people here have been recipients of your divine healing. We thank you, God, for your correction We thank you for your instruction. We thank you for your acceptance of us and your partnership in our lives. May you be glorified in every part of who we are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, Thanks for listening.